From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. Climate change, we've discussed it to death. But one of the things that is bubbling just beneath the surface is what role nuclear power should play in trying to keep carbon out of the atmosphere. There seems to be a divide among environmentalists on this. Michael Schellenberg has recently written about this, along with climate scientist James Hansen in the Wall Street Journal. And so, first of all, Michael, would you consider yourself an environmentalist, a tree hugger or what? Absolutely. Yeah, my entire life, (laughs) ever since I was a child. Okay, which means, so just outline your politics for me. What does that mean exactly? Well, you're in favor of wind power, solar power? No, I'm not. I, not. I used to be. In fact, I was um, one of the main advocates for a the $150 billion that the country invested in renewables between 2009 and 2015. But in the process of it, we just kept encountering all sorts of problems, um, mostly environmental problems involving destructions of wilderness, uh, the deaths of, um, you know, incredibly important threatened species from desert tortoises to to bald eagles. And the resistance to big wind and solar farms was coming from conservationists like me. So I started to change my mind over a period of years, in particular, after some people pointed out that we we ought to take a second look at nuclear. And nuclear had always been scary to me. I always thought that it was like the bomb. And the more I learned about it, the more shocked I was that most of what I believed about nuclear was just untrue and that it's actually always been the best source of electricity from an environmental point of view. Now, are you a nuclear scientist? Uh, do you have any expertise in that area? I'm not. No, I, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm an ordinary person. My, my degrees are in social sciences. But it's not you don't need to be an engineer or a scientist to be able to read a World Health Organization report which says that 7 million people die every year from air pollution, whereas a total of 200 people will be dead from nuclear energy by 2030. Um, you don't need to have a degree in, in physics to understand the, the fact that the energy density of nuclear is why it doesn't take very much land and why it doesn't have the negative impacts that renewables have on wildlife. So your turnaround is based on your reading of the statistics? In, yeah, certainly reading of the science, reading of, um, I mean, a lot. I mean, reading, writing, giving talks, interviewing people. I mean, it was basically from 2005 to 2010 that I changed my mind about nuclear. Mm-hmm. And then I spent the last nine years trying to understand all of the technologies in a more sophisticated way. You're sort of an apostate among environmentalists, though, aren't you? I mean, they they do not like you. They, there are websites saying that you're in somebody's pocket. So respond to that. I'm not. I, I am financially independent. I always have been. Um, we do not accept support from any energy interests. In fact, it's um, quite the opposite. Um, we've documented that all of the big environmental groups, Sierra Club, NRDC, EDF, both take money in the tune of tens of millions of dollars a year and are invested in both natural gas and renewables. So, um, you know, it's actually quite scandalous, and most people don't want to talk about it because we tend to think that renewables are, are good and natural because we we have a what we call a appeal to nature fallacy. We think that, that solar and wind are more natural or better for the environment because they run on solar and wind, and it's just a kind of mental mistake um, that people have. 
And the truth is you couldn't get away with killing all the birds and bats that wind turbines kill from any other energy source. And the only reason that wind turbines can get away with it is because we think it's natural. And on solar power, you point out in your uh, in your talks that after the solar panels have finished their useful life, they have to be discarded somewhere. Yeah, I mean, right now, um, the only waste from energy production that is contained is the waste from nuclear power plants. Um, every other form of waste, the waste from fossil fuels goes into the environment and kills 7 million people a year. The waste from solar panels goes to landfills or it joins the electronic waste stream where it's often broken up and exposes poor people in poor countries to dangerous toxins. Um, uh, solar panels contain heavy toxic metals, cadmium, chromium, and lead. And there is no end of the toxicity of those, of those metals. Um, and in fact, you know, the quantity is astonishing. It takes two to 300 times more waste per unit of energy from solar as it does uh, from nuclear. So this has all led you to nuclear power, but of course, nuclear power, there are people who are philosophically opposed to it for various reasons, including Three Mile Island, uh, Chernobyl, and of course, uh, the bomb. So answer those objections. Well, I mean, that's the real fear. I mean, I think the real fear is just that nuclear power plants share the same name as nuclear weapons. So um, in some ways, it's just fear of nuclear weapons. And even that turned out not to be accurate. Um as nuclear weapons have spread, the world's become a more peaceful place. Three Mile Island is an accident that actually proves the safety of nuclear. I mean, here you have a full meltdown of the reactor and nobody was harmed. I mean, if you're standing right next to the plant, you got something like the amount of an X-ray. You get more exposure to radiation when you fly in jet planes um, than you do from uh, Fukushima and Three Mile Island. The worst accident was Chernobyl. And it killed about 50 people, firefighters putting out the fire, and probably another 150 from thyroid cancer over a 50 to 75-year period. So, I mean, I think it's, you know, the, the contrast between what people believe and what the reality is, is huge. I mean, I don't know of any other issue where people's beliefs and the reality are so different from one another. So how did this happen then? If it's, because uh, you point out the nuclear power plants, are the only form of electricity generation that that uh, kicks out zero carbon. And you also present some, I mean, they're persuasive-looking charts, I, I, I have to grant it to you, that indicate that on, if you take nuclear power out of the equation, there's no way that developed countries uh, will ever meet their, their carbon goals. So if, if that's the case, then how did things get so twisted? Well, that's a really interesting question. And that's actually a much longer story than just the safety and waste issues. I mean, it really does go back to the creation of atomic weapons in the 1940s and the fears of them. I mean, I think there's this other issue, which is that people really fell in love with the idea of renewables. You know, even the word sounds nice. It sounds like we're going to harmonize society with nature. We all love nature. But the truth is that if you want to save nature, if you want to protect the natural environment, then you need to use less of it, not more of it. So that means that you want to use that you want to use um, fuels that are energy dense, which means that you don't need to use a lot of uranium. I mean, the amount of uranium in a can of Coke is enough to provide all the energy that I need for my entire life. At the end of its life, at the end of the fuel, the fuel comes out of the plant in that same Coke sized can. So there's hardly any waste. 
Trying to do that with renewables requires covering huge amounts of land with solar panels, wind turbines, it, because sunlight and wind are so dilute. Sunlight or wind are great on my face, and when I'm outside, they're wonderful. But in trying to power modern society from them, it requires destroying a lot of the natural environment. So I think some of this is just, a, you know, it's kind of a mix of fear of the bomb, love of renewables, general ignorance about energy and environmental issues. Um, and then there's some pretty powerful financial interests. I mean, I think the interesting thing we've seen is that there's an alliance between natural gas companies and solar and wind companies. Why? Well, because solar and wind are unreliable, you always have to have a natural gas plant ready to burn gas and produce electricity whenever the sun goes behind a cloud or the wind stops blowing. So you're actually seeing Shell and Statoil and these other big natural gas companies promoting solar and wind because they know that it will create demand for their product. I thought the idea, though, was to develop a an efficient battery which you could use to bank the electricity because everybody admits, yeah, solar doesn't work when it's cloudy and wind doesn't work when the air is calm. But if you have batteries, then you can store this stuff. Yeah, this is a very common misconception in part because we've had we have great batteries in our phones. Um, and so we tend to think, well, we have all these batteries. But the truth is, is that like if you take every battery in California, including every battery in every car and truck, it would provide less than 30 minutes of backup from our electricity grid. And solar and wind, you know, there are periods where there is no there is no significant amount of sunlight or wind in parts of the winter. There's months that go by with very little solar and wind. So there's just it's it's basically nobody, even solar and wind advocates don't think you can store all that solar and wind in batteries. I mean, the best the best way to store lots of electricity is in hydroelectric dams. Mm -hmm. But we already use hydroelectric dams both to produce electricity and to provide irrigation. So nobody thinks that you're going to be able to create a whole bunch of new hydroelectric dams to store all that intermittent solar and wind. What we end up doing is just burning that more natural gas and it ends up making both more air pollution and also higher cost of electricity. What about Europe? Hasn't Europe made a lot of progress in wind and solar power and aren't they getting more and more of their electricity from those sources? You really just need to look at two countries, I think, to understand the difference. Look at France, look at Germany. France spends a little bit more than half as much for its electricity as Germany, but its electricity is 10 times less carbon intensive. Why? Because France is 75% nuclear energy and Germany is moving away from nuclear energy. Nuclear is the difference. Um, Germany will have spent $580 billion on renewables by 2025. And during that period, it will have seen its electricity prices go up by 50%. And its carbon emissions have been flat. They haven't changed since 2009. So I think if you everything you need to learn about energy and, and climate change, I think you can learn from France and Germany. You know, and by the way, it happens at a time, everybody goes, well, solar panels and wind turbines are cheaper now. Well, that's true, but they still require the huge cost of backing them up because of the unreliability. So I would say, look at Germany, look at California. These are places where electricity prices have skyrocketed because of all of the addition of solar and wind to the grid. And, and that's happened at a time when solar panels and wind turbines got cheaper. The reason is because the more solar and wind you add, the more, the higher the costs, because you have to back them up and, and you have to find some way to balance the grid, balance supply and demand in the grid um, with all that unreliable energy. Explain one chart that I, I, I saw on your, uh, on your website. It seemed to show that the more a country 
began to rely on solar and wind, the less of a proportion of their electricity was actually created by the solar and wind, or did I get that wrong? Right. No, you got that right. So basically, what we find is that when wind becomes 30% of your electricity, Uh its value declines by 40%. And when solar becomes 15% of your grid, its value declines by half. Well, Well, why is that? Yeah. Well, yeah. So it, it just is a way of saying that that the sun and wind have two problems. The first is that they don't generate electricity when you need it, and then they generate too much when you don't need it, so that California has to pay Arizona right now to take all of our excess solar electricity, and Germany has to pay its neighbors to take all of its excess electricity. And, you know, it's interesting. Today, I just wrote a story about a new study from the University of Chicago which is the biggest study to date, and it it finds the exact same thing. Solar panels and wind turbines are making electricity much more expensive around the United States for three reasons. The first is the unreliable nature of sunlight and wind. The second is because they require so much land, so much more land. I mean, 450 times more land for a solar farm than for a nuclear plant to make the same amount of electricity. And then the third reason is that you have to build all this additional transmission lines. And transmission is extremely expensive. It's also really bad for the environment. So, you know, it's interesting. When you look at it, you realize that the same reason renewables are so bad for the environment is the same reason they make electricity so expensive. And so um, I think it's fair to say that the, the highest profile environmental candidate running for president is our own governor, Jay Inslee, who has said that... Uh, Climate change is the number one issue. Uh, he has been, what shall I say, noncommittal when, when this nuclear energy argument is brought up as a, the best way to achieve lower carbon emissions. Have you talked to him at all? I actually, uh, I, I, I've known Jay now for 15 years. We actually met in 2003, so it's even been longer than that. Um, I like Jay. I, I think that if you push him on it, he would say that he's open to nuclear. I think it's hard for a lot of baby boomers. You know, I mean, it's just I think if you grew up during the 60s and even the 70s, I mean, it was even me, I grew up in the 80s and there was just so much fear of nuclear. And so and I think it really had an impact on our unconscious, just setting aside the rational parts of our brain. We know that a lot of our behavior and beliefs are driven by the unconscious. And I think that if you grew up in the 60s or 70s, you had to duck and cover and practice <laughs> nuclear war. I mean, right. it was terrifying. So I think a lot of people, honestly, I think a lot of us just suffered a kind of post-traumatic stress disorder from all of the fear of nuclear. And it's very hard to get over that. Um, and then I think the second issue is I think that if you're an environmentalist and you love nature, you just kind of think that solar and wind would be better because it's sunlight and wind. And it's hard to get your head around the fact that actually they end up having huge environmental impacts. And it's one of the things we know about how our minds work is that the more the more time we've spent advocating for something, the less likely we are to admit that we were wrong. You know, I mean, that's been the hardest thing for me. And I think for everybody, it's just to kind of admit, hey, I was wrong about this. It's embarrassing. Nobody wants to admit they were wrong. I think Jay's a good guy. Um you know, I, I think it would be a great service to everybody if he would come out much more strongly for nuclear. So you have founded a group called Environmental Progress, which embraces nuclear power as a way to combat climate change. 
do you have any other environmental groups on your side? I mean, you used to be with the Sierra Club, right? Yeah, I mean, I've worked for basically all the major environmental groups. And yeah, I mean, the, they, they, what the, what's happened is that they have basically all said, in some circumstances, we should keep nuclear plants operating. In Illinois, New York, they all kind of signed off on a deal that both gave some a little bit of support for nuclear to keep plants running and also put a lot more money into renewables. Union of Concerned Scientists, which is one of the main anti-nuclear groups from the 70s, just came out and said we should keep existing plants running. Really? So it's, yeah, you know, and they always have a lot of caveats and conditions on on their support. Um, but it's baby steps. You know, I think when you understand how difficult it is to change your mind on this on nuclear it makes sense that people are moving pretty slow. I mean, I think the big difference is millennials. They grew up in fear of climate change, not nuclear, and they have just been much more supportive of nuclear. In fact, most of the millennials I talk to, they really don't understand why people are so afraid of nuclear. They don't understand why their own parents are so afraid of it or so <laughs> against it. Is uh, Are there any new nuclear plants under construction in the U.S.? There are. There's a plant that's under construction in Georgia. Um and, you know, we are just very we have a lot of energy in the United States. We have had this major fracking revolution, which has made us just this huge exporter of both oil and gas. So we're a little bit different from most countries where they're not going to have fracking. And so it's been much harder for to get new nuclear plants built. You know, plus, I think the fact is that we're already a rich country. Our electricity demand is not growing very quickly. Um but I do think ultimately, if we're going to replace all that natural gas and coal, we still have about 20 percent of our electricity from coal. We're just going to need to build a lot more nuclear plants. And you can build them without uh, uh, having to charge. What is what is Con Ed charge these days, like 16 cents a kilowatt hour? I mean, it's, it's fairly expensive electricity, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, basically, the study I just mentioned that came out from the University of Chicago today just shows that solar and wind are making electricity much more expensive everywhere that you use them. Now, hydro hydroelectricity has traditionally been very cheap. I mean, and nuclear plants, similarly, they're like similar to hydroelectric dams in the sense that once you build them, the cost of operations and maintenance are pretty low, a little bit higher for nuclear than for hydroelectric dams. But they can last for about as long, 60, 80, 100 years. So it's really a long term investment. And I think that's how you have to look at it. It's something that we're doing in the same way we build bridges and highways and canals we build hydroelectric dams and nuclear plants. Those are the two main ways that we're going to have to reduce carbon emissions. Right. But is there any, I mean, you, you say there's a, f a few being uh, considered, but to actually have an impact, how many new nuclear plants would you have to build in the U.S.? Well, right now we have about 99 or about 100 reactors providing 20% of our electricity. So if you need, if you wanted to get to 100% nuclear, you would need something like another 400 reactors. Um, now you can build them on the same plant sites. The cheapest way to get new nuclear is just to build more reactors on the same site. And so that's what we would end up doing. It would take decades, but that's the time scale of climate change that we're dealing with. And mm -hmm. What we find is that, you know, every study shows that when you compare apples to apples, nuclear is the fastest way to decarbonize electricity supplies. And it's the only way to completely decarbonize them. I mean, the only two countries that have basically gotten to almost zero fossil fuels in their electricity mix are Sweden and France. And they did so primarily with nuclear, but also with hydro.
So it's your position that if anybody who is really serious about reducing the proportion of carbon in the atmosphere, there's really no choice but to go to but to become as nuclear as possible. That's definitely where I've come to. I mean, there's certainly people that think that you can, you know, capture the carbon and store it underground from fossil fuel plants. I mean, you can do that, but you're talking about a huge new infrastructure at a much higher cost than just building nuclear. People think you can do renewables, but it's just proven to be very expensive and ends up locking in natural gas. So at the end of the day, I think that nuclear, it's kind of a Cinderella story. You know, it's this technology, you know, it's the sister, it's the sister who got, who the, the stepsisters always said was the dirty one. They made her do all the hard work. And she turned out to be the most beautiful one, um, the smallest environmental footprint, the least amount of waste, and the safest way to make electricity. It just, um, it was sitting in front of us the whole time. And for a variety of kind of political and cultural reasons, we haven't been able to see it properly. So you're saying that this should be at the heart of the Green New Deal. Absolutely. I, I don't think that there, there, there has never been a successful Green New Deal that wasn't basically nuclear. I mean, I wrote a call and I was like, Every successful Green New Deal was nuclear. France and Sweden, Japan and other countries that had built nuclear plants. Um, the, it's really the only way to significantly reduce your dependence on fossil fuels. So any reaction from the Green New Deal Democrats uh, in Washington? Yeah, I mean, I was one of the first people to report the fact that they excluded nuclear from the Green New Deal. And they quickly backtracked. Um, you know, you saw other people in the Green New Deal really is on the Senate side, quickly sort of insist that they weren't going to exclude it, that that was just something that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had said. And I think it's a testament to how much the conversation has changed over the last few years. I mean, there's really no, no I mean, if you think of what climate scientists, it's not just James Hansen, but I mean, really, climate scientists have been more outspoken on nuclear than they have on any other issue except for the climate science. There is no advocacy of climate science by climate scientists of a lot of renewables, whereas all of the major climate scientists have been co-signing these open letters to politicians that we've been circulating, arguing that we need to use a lot more nuclear. And so I think there's definitely been a change in the conversation over the last, you know, three years in particular, but really over the last decade before that. Would uh, Republicans support this? Well, Republicans have always supported nuclear. You know, I mean, nuclear energy was bipartisan in the 50s and 60s. Al Gore's father was one of the biggest advocates of nuclear. And in the 50s, he attacked President Eisenhower for not doing enough nuclear. <laughs> he wanted a Tennessee Valley authority for nuclear. And then when the new left started attacking nuclear in the really the late 60s, early 70s, Democrats eventually became anti-nuclear and Republicans just remained pro-nuclear. And so they were Republicans have never been the problem. In fact, you know, one senator, Senator Alexander from Tennessee, actually was has been advocating a green nuclear deal for the last 10 years, arguing for doing precisely what we just talked about, which is just building a lot more nuclear power plants. So Republicans are they're already there. That's the, the important work is to try to move Democrats. Yeah. Well, I mean, what would move Democrats, it seems to me, is the actual results. I mean, you've you've sort of laid out a path for what would actually reduce the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. And Republicans are already on board with this. And I think they would probably take, dare I say, some delight in seeing Democrats uh, change their minds on this. But I mean, if the if the idea is to actually lower the amount of carbon in the atmosphere, you're saying 
anybody who wants to do that needs to embrace this. Absolutely. I mean, it's time, you know, it's we the case has been made. The safety, the information on safety and health, it's all very well established. There's really no controversy in the scientific community over the benefits of nuclear. I do blame the news media. I think the media have been, you know, have had a bias against nuclear for a very long time. And they've not done a very good job talking about the downsides of renewables. But yeah, I for, for sure think that, I mean, really, this has been, a, we've had this debate now for, for almost a decade. And I think it's time for people to just kind of get over their hangups and, and move on. Do you think there could be a, a grand bargain where the climate deniers on the right give up their climate denial and the nuclear deniers on the left give up their nuclear denial? Absolutely. And, you know, the funny thing is there's a lot of reasons to support nuclear that don't have anything to do with climate change. I mean, I think the the two big environmental benefits other than climate are the fact that it doesn't produce any air pollution. So we've now know that James, you know, from James Hansen did a study finding that nuclear has actually saved two million lives to date. It could save many more if we expanded it, but save two million lives a day just by preventing the burning of fossil fuels. And then the other one is just the land impacts. I mean, it's shocking how little land is required for a nuclear plant. And so if you're really concerned about protecting, you know, wild desert landscapes and protecting pristine coastal environments, being able to put a nuclear plant on the equivalent of like three or four football fields, as opposed to just the, you know, 450 times more land for a solar farm than a nuclear plant. I mean, it's really all you need to know. People say, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of land everywhere. Yeah, but there's not a lot of land near cities. And that's that's what makes the difference is that you've got to be somewhere in your population centers. Otherwise, you're going to be stretching transmission lines over hundreds of miles. Are there pictures of elk nuzzling up against the containment dome? <laughs> you know, it's funny. In the, the, la- the, the last operating nuclear plant we have in California called Diablo Canyon, they have photos of they take the goats out to eat the grass, you know, to prevent the fire hazard right. around the plant. So there are these really amazing photos of goats. But there's actually a there's an organic certified organic beef farm right near the plant, like right next to the plant. I always <laughs> I always would joke, you know, if only they knew you know, that it was. But it's fine. I mean, you know, one of my friends uh, works there and she's had three children now goes to work pregnant. And it's because she understands science. They, they monitor the radiation levels. Radiation's not this mysterious thing. We've been studying radiation and its effects for 120 years. And it just turns out that we're exposed to just much more radiation in the natural environment, but not to mention hospitals and elsewhere. Flying on jet planes is incredible amounts of radiation. And we just don't find the harms that people were worried about in the 1950s. Michael Schellenberger is the founder and president of Environmental Progress at environmentalprogress.org. Michael, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.